This sermon is going to only be really two points, not very long, because I know you have a brunch to go to. Some of you don't even know what a brunch is. <laughs> it's called Easter, how God reveals himself to be alive. The phrase, Merry Easter, you see, Pastor, you say that, but actually it came from a friend of mine who's not even a Christian. And I talked to him one day. And this is years ago, and he said, yeah, tomorrow's Easter. And I said, yeah. And he said, yeah, well, Merry Easter, man. So I asked him, I said, do you know what Easter is even about? And he said, yeah, it has something to do with Christmas. <laughs> he said, they're all connected, right? And I thought, you know, th- people have no idea what Easter is about. And I thought, well, really, at the bottom line, what is Easter about? It's easy to get caught up going, and I've preached many messages on it. Don't get me wrong. I've talked about this. This message this morning is more of an inspirational type message. So if Jesus, we know he died and rose again, but if he's going to reveal himself to be alive, how would he do it? How would Jesus reveal himself? Show the world that he's alive. An empty tomb doesn't mean that he's alive. All the empty tomb just means there's an empty tomb. Unless you see the body, you don't know that he's alive. If all you have is a missing body, all you have is a missing body, we need to know if he's alive. So how would Jesus prove or show you and I or reveal to people in the world that he is alive? That's what I'm going to talk about for a few moments this morning. So follow with me. The main text is Mark 16 this morning. Easter, how God reveals himself to be alive. Mark 16 Follow with me, because I want you to hear the story in order to really get what's going on, the point I'm trying and will make. After, verse 1, after the Sabbath was over. The Sabbath, by the way, was Saturday. was Saturday. The Jews celebrated on the Sabbath, which is a Saturday. Sunday is the first day of the week, actually. We don't know that now. Our first day is Monday. Back then, Saturday was the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath started on Friday at 6 p.m., it went all the way to 6 until the evening on 6, uh, until the next evening on Saturday in the evening. So that would be the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, you didn't do anything on the Sabbath. I say that because it's going to make sense when they try to bury Jesus rushly. So here it is. It says, the Sabbath was over. Mary Magdalene, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices to go and anoint the body of Jesus. Very early that morning, sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way, they said one to another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? For it was a very large stone. They looked and they saw the stone had already been rolled back. So they entered the tomb. They saw a young man sitting on the right wearing a white robe and they were alarmed. And he said to them, don't be amazed or don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus, the Nazarene, the one who has been crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Don't be alarmed. Now go and give this message to his disciples, including Peter that he is going to Galilee ahead of you. There he will see you just as he told you before. Verse 9. And after Jesus rose from the dead early Sunday morning, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, who had driven out seven demons. She went and told his companions they were mourning and crying. And when they heard her say that Jesus was alive, that she had seen him, they did not believe her. Now, I think it's very appropriate, first of all, that if you go through all the accounts, the resurrection of Jesus is all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all of them, basically, we all know one thing for sure, that there are certain women that were there, three women, they say, basically, 
But we know for sure there's one that stands out here that I'm using for the sermon's sake. It's Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene would be one of the first people that would see Jesus alive. And she goes to the tomb to anoint Jesus. And I thought, how fitting that God would use her to anoint Jesus. Because she's the same woman most people believe. In Matthew 26, the Bible says in verse 37, there's a woman that lived a very sinful life. She heard Jesus was in the Pharisee's house. She brought in an alabaster jar uh, full of perfume, stood behind Jesus, began to cry and wetting his feet with her tears. Then she dried his feet with her hair and kissed them, and she poured perfume on them. Mary Magdalene, you're talking about a woman that shows radical love for Jesus. We can go into it, but the bottom line was this woman, she's displaying affection and love, and she don't care what anyone else thinks. You know what? When you love Jesus sometimes, like this woman loves Jesus, you don't care what anybody else thinks. She's crying. You think about it. If you're watching, you see this woman. You say, Man, this woman's moving. You're talking radical love for Jesus. In fact, some disciples say, what a waste of time. What a waste of money. Jesus says, leave her alone. She's anointed my body for a reason. So that's Mary Magdalene. Think about it. So let me look at something. The text we read, we pick up where the women are going to the tomb. Only two points this morning. And so stay with me. First is our pain in God's plan. And I'm at the beginning of this, it may be a little sad at the beginning, but hang on in the end, we're going to end up in a good place. It's Earth's saddest day and Earth's gladdest day. They were just three days apart. And what we're going to read in the text tells us a story that's often missed. And I say that it's missed. Uh, what's going on here and it's missed pain that the disciples are experiencing that I'm going to bring you into every one of us have had moments in our life where we've had our dreams our hopes come crashing down in a blink of an eye we've had these things happen in our life we've all had experienced things that were bad and in our mind we would say something like this I'm sure you said it could never get worse and then it what got worse we've had moments like that where life happens to all of us we have expectations that remain unfulfilled we have prayers that we pray to God and it seems like they don't get answered or it seems like God's so far away that he's not even listening to us we have moments like that now the disciples you think about it for a moment here they're trying to figure out what happened that's why they don't go to the tomb like the women go. In their mind, like anyone, when something happens in our text, it's Jesus dying. They're trying to figure out how this happened. How could it even happen? How could God's plan include their pain? But it does. The disciples, they have no idea what's going on. They feel everything they've ever dreamed and believed and hoped for is gone now. You've had that experience. They've had that experience. So we've had the same experience the disciples are having at this moment, but stay with me. There's a missed part of this pain that we don't see that's in the plan of God, that's in the uh, Easter story. Now, when Jesus dies, they, because he was a criminal, he hung on the cross. It was a very shameful death outside the city on Golgotha. He dies there. He was brutally beaten. If you've seen the passion of Christ, that's how he looks. And most believe it was worse than the passion of Christ. 
because of the law in Deuteronomy and because of how they worship God, the Sabbath and the Jews, that the body had to be taken down Friday night and put in the grave by 6 o'clock that evening on Friday because the Sabbath started at 6. Normally, they would get the body, they'd take the body, and they'd take the time to prepare it for burial. They'd anoint it with spices and things like that. But because of the time, there wasn't enough time to do this. The Sabbath was getting ready to start, and they could not be taking down the body or putting it even in the tomb on Sabbath. On the Sabbath, no one worked. You can't do that on the Sabbath. So they have to quickly get the body of Jesus. Joseph, who's a wealthy man uh, of Arimathea, he owned some money. He had money. He had land. He had a cave. He had a place he could put Jesus. So he goes to Pilate and says, hey, I want the body of Jesus. And they say, okay, check. Make sure he's dead first. They, they check. They say, hey, Jesus is dead. They say, give him to Pilate. So Pilate says, yeah, go ahead and give him to Joseph. Joseph, the Bible says, takes the body quickly and puts it in the grave. Just puts it in the cave. That's it. The, the Sabbath is getting ready to start. Worship is getting ready to start. The next day is rolling over. It's Friday night. They got to get him in and shut it, put the tomb, put the tomb there and be done with it. That's why there's such a rush moment. So here they are, going back to the disciples, it's Saturday. Friday, Jesus was crucified. Now remember this, they watched Jesus be crucified. If you've ever seen the Passion of Christ, it will move you, and hopefully it moves you to obedience. They see Jesus being crucified. The crucifixion is over now. They, Saturday is Sabbath, Right? It's getting ready to have time, we would say time for worship, time to give God glory, time to uh, worship God and, and do what we're supposed to do. But for the disciples, worshiping on their mind at all. Because this Saturday, they're not in a rush to go worship God on Saturday because their heart has been shattered. Their lives have been broken to a thousand pieces. They're not ready to do anything. In fact, they don't do anything. They don't even go where Jesus was buried. They know where he was at. Their hearts are still heavy from Friday. I don't know if you've ever been there. I'm sure you have. You've been in that place where, like the disciples, you know you're supposed to go to church Saturday. You know you're supposed to be involved in worship, getting ready, but they don't feel like going to church. You ever feel like not going to church? Not because you're wicked or sinful. Because life is hard. And things happen and just tear you up sometimes. That's where the disciples are at. They, 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 don't, they know it's the right thing to go to church, but sometimes you know it's the right thing to do, but you don't want to do it. You're troubled. And like the disciples, you're trying to figure this out. You know, how could this, this happen? And the truth about it is it happened to them, it happens to us. Sadness can cloud our minds. Sadness can cloud your mind. You think, man, I, and so if I were the disciples, I'll probably begin to go back over the whole story. Begin to think about it. They saw the execution. They saw him being beaten. And it's the first time in three years I thought about this. It's the first time the disciples would wake up and there'd be no more Jesus. God was dead. First time. They've been walking with Jesus. They wake up that morning. It's the first time in three and a half years that there is no God. There is no Jesus. The horrors of the execution would be on their mind. 
They're with him one day, and then the next day he's gone. And if you're like the disciples, like you and I, if we're with somebody, like I think of my mother, I was with my mother on, I think it was a Sunday, and then Monday, that Sunday she died, Monday she, she, she's no longer alive. It's odd when you're with someone one moment, they're alive, and they're dead the very next day. And one of the first things you do, and I'm sure the disciples did, is you start replaying the last day, or you start replaying memories from the past. It's weird when you lose someone, whether it's Jesus or a loved one or people you love. It's like you think about them more than when they were alive. So here's the disciples. They're replaying their life. I'm, I'm thinking they're, I'm, they're probably replaying their life. They are probably replaying the last moments they were with Jesus. Well, the week right before this, Jesus goes into the town, remember, right before this, just that we, one week before, and the Bible says the people, it's going to be called, called Palm Sunday, and they're, they're yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, remember that? That was the week, beginning of this very same week. The disciples are thinking, well, just a few days ago, everyone was saying how great Jesus was. Now, they're, they're, I've seen they're beating him, they're crucifying him, they're brutally, this is torture, this is wrong, how can they do it? It goes from this to that in just a few days. Man, they see him on the cross. They see him on Golgotha there, and people mocking him, making fun of him. You know, the one thing you, it's hard to take is when you love someone and people mock him. You see, especially the Roman soldiers, they had no power over the Roman soldiers. They mocked him. They beat him. Disciples are listening to this, watching it. It's like, it's so weird feeling so powerless. You're mocking the one that we love. So now to them, God's dead. Everything they hope for is gone. And really, I think their lives just basically, it's the bottom of their life. Things that they thought would never happen have happened. And that's where they're at. In our story. That's why the scripture I read, the women are going to the tomb early in the morning. Well, where are the men? They're not going to the tomb. Their hearts have been too broken. The heart has been taken right out of the best disciples. Peter, James, and John, all, where are they? They're nowhere to be found. They're, they're at another place. It's like, you know what? We believed in this guy. God's dead. And what happens? Women. There's something about women. Guys, don't get mad at me. There's something about women and women that their love is deeper, oftentimes, than a man's. When the strongest of the strongest lose heart, there's a group of women that said, you know what? We're going to go see Jesus. And it's odd because the disciples are in this pain, and so that's where they're at. But here these women are going to go see Jesus. Jesus dies. I said a moment ago that this burial is not complete yet. So the women are going to go, the Bible says, to anoint his body. In other words, the women are going to go do what should have been done 
but had no time to be done. He should have been anointed, man. That was Jesus. Spices. You're not talking. You're talking the Son of God. You're talking Jesus Christ. He can't just be buried like that. He can't. He's been treated like that. No, he's not. He's not going to go out like that. So they get up and say, "We're going to go. We're going to go do what needs to be done, even though we don't feel like it." If I can say it, those pathetic disciples. The pathetic. Peter, James, and John. Hey, Mr. Strongman, where are you guys at? Well, they're broken in pieces. They, they couldn't muster it up to go to the tomb. They, they couldn't muster up the strength, the power, the courage to go to the tomb. Roman soldiers are there. The seal was there. And no, we ain't going. We don't have no idea what happened to him. We don't think he's alive. He's dead now, I guess. And the women said, we're going to go to the tomb. And anoint. We're not going to let him go out like that. We're going to do what needs to be done. Sometimes it's... Sometimes a woman will do what needs to be done, not because she feels any different, but because there's something in her heart that drives her differently, her love for God, differently than a man sometimes. And all you women should have said, preach it, preacher. <laughs> so the women decide to go. Early in the morning, the Bible says, verse 2, and they go to the tomb. Three women, but I'm pointing out Mary Magdalene. And they're talking to each other, the Bible says, which is interesting. God picks up their conversation on the way to church. Mary, Mary, the three women are talking. The fact that they're going tells you all about their hearts. The men should have been going. Three women, and they're talking, said, who's going who's gonna to roll away the stone? In front of the stone... Are Roman soldiers. I was reading the history of the resurrection or some proof of the resurrection. It's, I don't know if you saw the film this morning, but one of the articles I read, and I don't know if it's true, it's supposed to be historically, I got quotes, I won't read it because I sake of time, but because of all the uproar about Jesus, Pilate said, we've got to make sure that no one steals the body. We've got to make sure that something doesn't happen, the disciples are still there, something doesn't happen wrong. So make sure we, when he goes in that tomb, Seal it, and they, some say it was a, like a couple thousand pound stone they put, which is actually a very unusual sized stone. And one writer, I quote, said, they put 30 Roman soldiers there, and they put a Roman seal on it. If you were to break the seal, that was like offending the federal government. It, it, and if you were a Roman soldier guarding the tomb, and something happened, you went to sleep, or something happened, if this guy in there gets out, or whatever happens, you die death sentence so you got these Roman soldiers the baddest of the baddest you're talking the elite you're talking Adronicus they're the you're talking Roman soldiers no one messes with these are the best of the best this is the seal team of Roman the Romans they're the best 30 of them are standing there probably so it's one article said and guess who's going to come and face them these three women and they don't even talk about they're not worried about the Roman soldiers that sounds like a mama to me You'd think they'd be saying, we're not the Roman soldier, but the, the seal. Man, we can't hurry to to the body. Who's going to roll away the stone? They're not thinking about Roman soldiers. They got, they got something in them. They got something in their heart. There's, something, there's, a, there's an inward fortitude in these women that, that the disciples don't have, but that's their attitude, and they're going to go to Jesus. But that one thought, they say, who's going to roll away the stone for us? So <clears throat> I want you to think about this. <clears throat> They're doing what needs to be done because that's what mothers do. 
And just like a woman, they can't do nothing about the death, but they can sweeten it up. Sometimes a woman's influence, she knows she can't change everything, but she can make the scene a little bit better. I can sweeten this thing up a little bit. A woman can do that, a man can't. A man comes on the scene, what's up? A woman said, be quiet. Let them talk. But there's such a deep love in these women. And so they go, and I, I, and I thought about what's happened in Ukraine. I saw a video. Maybe you saw it, too. It was so fitting. It was a grandmother and grandfather. The Russians came on their compound. I don't know if you saw that. The Russians come on their compound. The Russians with their weapons. They, they, they come and they open the door of their compound. It's a pretty big compound. There's, there's a little hut there, a little house, I mean, a hut, whatever is there. It shows the grandmother coming out first, just like a grandma. The grandfather, he's behind just like a grandpa. And the grandmother's coming out, and the Russians come in, and their grandmother comes out, and she's cussing about it. I don't know how they cuss in Ukraine. I don't know what she's doing, but she cusses them out. She tells these Russians, get out of here. You don't belong here. This is my country. You Get out of here. She, they cuss them out, and it's crazy. They're like six Russians. They all come in. They're looking at their guns. They're looking at her, and she's just laying into them. They just, okay, okay. They leave. <laughs> They're not worried about the Roman soldiers because their love for Jesus is bigger than their fears. They're in a more stronger force in the entire world than the Roman soldiers. I'm going to go see Jesus. You're not going to stop me. My love for Jesus is bigger than any of my fears. These are just free thoughts. Can I keep going? They're worried about the stone and the soldiers, not really the stone. And I thought, how? Think about it. They're saying, who's going to roll away this stone? It's a very heavy stone. I don't think they had CrossFit back then. These women ain't buff. You ever seen some of these CrossFit women? They'd be scary looking. They'd be a beast. If you get married to a CrossFit woman, you're getting beat up. So my suggestion to you, you make sure you get married to a woman that's smaller than you, lighter than you, not as strong as you, not bigger and stronger than you. It help your marriage a whole lot. Because she threatens you. You be coming to me, Pastor. She's going to beat me up, Pastor. What should I do? Put on some muscle, boy. Drink some muscle milk. Hit the gym. Anyway, I got off track. Okay. So what's new? But they're not, they're not CrossFit women. And they say, how are we going to move this stone? Some say, like I said, now they put special stones. It weighs a lot. How are we going to move the stone? Here's, a, here's another free thought for all of us quickly. When you're worrying about how it's going to work out, you're worrying about how this stone's going to be removed, but you're worrying about God's going to work out before you get there. You know what? You, you can't worry about the stone. There are things that come into our life that are heavy, big. We can't move. But as we walk in oil of obedience, God, I don't know how that's going to, how are you going to move that? God said, don't worry. I'll work it out. You just walk it out. I'll work out what you worry about. And everything they're worrying about as they're walking, they get there and they go, Stone's been rolled away. In serving God, there are so many things that will stop. Obstacles that will come in your life that stop you from seeing Jesus or getting to Jesus. And you're going to look at it and say, there's no, there's no way in the world, Pastor, this can work out. There's no way in the world that stone's going to be moved away. It's like a ton. Come on. Get real. Some would say, get real, Pastor. What's wrong with you? You're getting a little too sick, okay? No. God works things out. Because he's God. 
And he works things out without even telling us how he did it. All we know, they get there, the stones and rolled away. God could have put in three verses how God came down, the angel grabbed, the, two angels grabbed us. Oh, I need help. Get a third angel, grab it, and they move it. It doesn't, they leave out the whole, there's nothing there, it just isn't, it's not there. God steps in our lives, does things, and doesn't even tell us how he does them, but he does them. All we know is when we get there, because we're walking the way of obedience, we get there and realize, you know what? <sighs> I, I, I couldn't believe this is open for me. I, wow. God works it out what you worry about. Another thought quickly. <clears throat> I haven't got to my, though I have kind of got to my point. <laughs> is <clears throat> these women could have said, and I put this in there because I think it's how we think. What's the use of going? The woman could have said, you know, they're walking, saying, you be careful who you walk with. They're walking, okay, can I do my little skit again? They're walking, Mary, oh, what's up, going girl? What's up? What are you going to do here, huh? Well, I don't know, honey. I don't know. I don't know, Mary. I don't know what's this. What can I do? Well, I think we should do. No, I'm not going to play all three. I can't do that. But anyway, so all three, they're walking. They're talking. They're going back and forth. And they could have said, you know what? This stone go. There's no way going to remove the stone. The Roman soldiers are there. Government's there. Stones there. This is pointless for us to take our time to go there. They could have said, what's the use? How many Christians give up because they come to them? And they say, here's what they say. What's the use? It's not going to make any difference, Pastor. What's the use? I've been praying. It hasn't made any difference. What's the use then? Forget it. But there's something inside these women that's pushing them. And, and they go, and I like this. Here's another thought here. Is, and I really like this. Because these women... And I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus shows himself to this woman is because <clears throat> you would ask the question, why not show yourself to Peter, James, or John or the disciple? But he shows himself to these women because maybe God shows himself to these women. And what makes these women so special is this. Listen to me carefully. When Jesus dies, that's where everyone thought, when God can do nothing for me. What he did for me in the past is enough to keep me going straight. When God can do nothing for me, I still love him. When God can do nothing else for me, I, I still love him, regardless of what I can get from him. Some people, they don't do, they give up. When God can do nothing else for you, what's your attitude? If, if whatever, you, whatever you have on your prayer list, whatever those are, if God said, I'm never going to answer any of those, would you still come to church? Or just say, you know, no, heck no, if you won't do this, I'm done. Oh, really? What about him saving your soul? Don't that count for something? When I thought, now, of course, he would reveal himself to these women. These women have hearts that say, no matter what you do for me, God, you've already done enough. Now, women get there. We know what happens. There's no body. They hear the message. Depends on which, what version you read. But the women, believe, the women believe Jesus is alive. One of the chapters, Jesus talks to the women. But they don't know. The disciples don't know. So their women run back. 
And they tell the disciples, Jesus is alive. We don't know where he is right now. The body's not there. The body's missing. That's all we know. That's what anyone knew. The disciples don't know if he's alive. All they know is the women tell them he's alive, but they, don't know. they haven't seen him, so they don't know if he's alive or not. So they go there, and the disciples go running. The Bible says Peter, James, and John, or, or Peter and John have a running race. They run, and John beats them there first. And they go, and be sure enough, just like, just like the women said, it was empty. There's nothing there. They don't know if Jesus is alive, but all they know is the body is missing. Think about it. The men get there, the apostles, right? The strong ones, Peter, James, and John, they get there, and they say, you know what? The girls are right. There ain't nobody here. They, there ain't no one here. Now, quickly, no one knows he's alive. They don't know where he's at. They ain't no one got the body. The body is missing, and that's what's been said over and over and over again. The body is missing. Everyone says that body. There ain't no body. But because the body is missing, the, the authorities know if the word gets out the body is missing, some crazy person is going to believe that he rose from the dead. When the word gets out on the Internet that Jesus is alive or the body is missing, some crazy Christian out there is going to believe that he's alive, so they come up with a plan. Right? They come up with a plan, and the plan, they say, listen, we got to come up with a plan because someone's going to believe that he's alive, and we're, now we're really in trouble because he said he's going to live again. We, you know what? We've got to stop this. So they say, listen, here's what we got to do. We've got to come up with a plan. Let's say the disciples stole the body at night. Disciples came at night and stole the body. I remember the story. I won't read the verses. It says, they, that's the rumors. Here's the rumor we're going to get out. They tell the soldier, we're going to pay you guys a lot of money. We need you guys to lie. Which is kind of odd because I said if they fail in their duty, they get killed. So I don't understand it. But this would pay a lot of money. People sell their soul for money, by the way. Pay a lot of money, just lie and say the disciples came at night and stole the bodies. We, we don't know. So you put the, tweet that out for you. Can we do that? Tweet that out. Put that on, post that on Facebook. Disciples stole the body. That's where it's all at. Okay, now. <clears throat> hang with me. <clears throat> That's where it's at. If you were Jesus, Jesus has to show himself to be alive. Do I got a few more minutes to preach? I'm almost getting to my point. Jesus can show himself alive. If he's going to show, reveal himself that he is alive, how would Jesus do it? Disciples haven't seen him. They don't know where he's at. In their mind, God's dead. They can't put the picture together. They're overwhelmed with grief, broken, you name it. And so here they are. So Jesus says, I'm going to come back. Now you think about it. Jesus is so good because Jesus, not like you or me, or I can't say you, maybe not like me, but the church is in, it's hanging in the balance because his own great disciples don't really even believe yet. The women do, the men don't yet. They're discouraged. Christianity is hanging in the balance. And Jesus says, okay, I got to go show them that I really did rise from the dead. How would Jesus do it? Well, this brings me to my main point here. There's only a few more minutes. Now, go and play that music. Why don't you listen to this real quick.
go and turn it down just a little bit. And keep playing it until I say stop. Okay, don't make me look bad, Maui. I'm important, you know. Some of these pastors, that's how they act. They think they're, please. But if I were Jesus, what make Jesus so better, much better than me and you or you, me, is this. Because if I was Jesus and those folks that had done that and I rose from the grave, I wouldn't be going to the women first. I wouldn't be going to the disciples first. You know what I would have done? I know I'm not Jesus, hey, Pastor, you're getting out of hand now. I know I'm not Jesus, but if I rose from the grave, first place I'd show up is the guys who beat me. I would, I'd, I'd say, oh, oh, you think you're something. I'd be showing up playing that music in the background. <laughs> and I, I, I would go find every one of those guys who hit me, everyone that touched me with a whip, anyone that mocked me, wherever they were hanging at, I'd just show up, and I'd, I'd just be there, and all of a sudden I'd just, bam! <laughs> and i look at them. Throw a sign, God's alive. That means Jesus up there, right? <laughs> I can't do this, or <laughs> I can't throw a sign. <laughs> but I don't even know what that means. That, well, this means arthritis, but I don't know what that means. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I would show, I would, I would show, right? The guys who beat me up, that's what I would went to first. You tortured me, dude. I would show it right there now. Oh, hey, last time you saw me, you had me, huh? Be like, then I would shoot over to. Caiaphas, the high priest, and all the religious folks. They're worshiping the Lord, the holy ones. I'd show up, I'd be busting that place up. Hey, what's up, Kai? You can't disrespect the high priest. What's up, C? Who's that yelling at me? Go find out. They'd be speechless. And then I'll go to Pilate, who thought he had all the powers. You know, I could kill you in any moment. Jesus, you ain't got no power over me except the power my father gives you. I show up at Pilate. But you know what's amazing about God? He chooses not to go back to the unsaved because he's not concerned about impressing the unsaved. He's concerned about encouraging the saved. So when he comes back, thank God he ain't like me. He comes back and he visits women. Okay, go and stop it. That brings me to this. I'm going to have to end it real quick here. And I mean this. Point two, Jesus, God's chosen way of revealing himself. Proof that he is alive, he chooses a witness. The first person to hear Jesus, the first person to see Jesus was Mary Magdalene. Think about it. The greatest honor, you think of Mary Magdalene is chosen to tell the world that Jesus is alive. He doesn't commission Peter, James, or John, or Matthew. No, no, the first person he commissions to tell the world that he is alive is a woman named Mary Magdalene. You say, why? Well, why would he choose Mary Magdalene? Well, because when God wants to make himself real to this world, listen, what he needs is just simply a witness. He chooses a woman whose life has been changed by the power of God. 
If I'm going to make the world, uh, let the world know that I'm alive, I'm going to choose a witness. A witness will tell the story of how God changed my life. So Jesus says, the way I'm going to reveal myself to the world is I'm going to have a witness. And the witness is a woman. The witness was actually three women who, who, with all odds against them, they kept loving me and loving me and loving me. And the, and the women go back and say, Peter, Jane, she, he's alive. They don't believe he's They don't believe her. They don't believe him at all. When Jesus chose those women, listen. He could have chosen anybody. He chose those women because their lives have been touched by God. Right? And they were still there. When no one else was there, they were there. And if the women didn't tell Peter, James, and John... That they were, Jesus was alive, they would have never known. So I'll say this to every sister here. If you know Jesus has changed your life, don't ever keep your mouth shut. Tell the world. But why would you choose a woman then? Bring me to another thought here quickly. A woman. A woman in the court, in the Jewish law, in the court of law, a woman can testify in court. In fact, if you're a Jewish male, his prayer every day was this. His prayer was, Lord, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile. Lord, I thank you that I'm not a slave. And God, I thank you that I'm not a woman. A woman was considered just above property. No rights. None. Zero. No credibility. In court, they thought a woman was too, too emotional. I can't, I can't imagine women being emotional. Too emotional to be rational. Their testimony could not be validated. They, they, they couldn't even testify in court. So no, you, you don't, you're, not, you're not a valuable witness. You're not a, well, you're not a credible witness. You can't witness in court. Well, then why would Jesus choose these women? Why would Jesus choose Mary Magdalene? God, when you knew when they went back to tell the story, none of them would believe. Why would you choose her? Well, I'll tell you why, I think. Because Mary Magdalene wasn't just any woman. Read verse 9. It says this quickly. After Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, whom he had driven seven demons out of. Another version says, And a certain woman named Mary Magdalene, who had healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Another one said, And this woman, Mary Magdalene, he had healed of evil spirits and diseases. In other words, Mary wasn't just another woman. Mary was a woman whose life has been changed by the power of God. God did more for Mary than he did for anyone else. I, I imagine, and for Mary, Jesus did more for her than any man, Peter, James, or, or anyone. And as far as Peter goes, yeah, Jesus changed Peter's name, but Jesus changed Mary's life. You're not just talking about someone that met God. And, no, no. You're talking about someone who's met, and met, met Jesus Christ and their life was radically transformed. That's the hope of the gospel. That's Easter's story. How, how, how do you know Jesus is alive, Pastor? I'll give you a couple things real quick. I bet you there's some folks over here right here that are exes. Used to, used to do, there's certain things you used to do, right? I used to do X, you know, whatever that is. Some of you used to do certain things. Some of you used to be whatever. You see, I used to go certain places and do certain things. How many can relate? I wrote down a couple. I know if I can find it. 
Oh, yeah, the word former. Former. There used to be former drug people, right? Former this, former that. And I, I would declare to you right here, right now, there's people all around you that have been radically changed by the power of God. How do you know Jesus is alive? Because in this place, we have, there are people that can stand up and give witness to this world that Jesus changes lives. That's how I know Jesus is alive. Now, if you're here this morning, I don't care what you've done. I don't care how bad your situation is. You may look hopeless. It doesn't matter. Jesus Christ can come into your life. He died and he rose again. He's alive this morning and he's here with us. And that Jesus that changed my life and changed your life can change your life. And with a simple prayer, you come and say, God, I give you my life. God will change your life. I want you to listen to someone's testimony very quickly. Donna. Come on up here. By the way, yes, amen. By the way, come on up here, Donna. The whole world's for the millions watching. <laughs> Donna, and by the way, I, I just told Donna when she walked into church. I didn't tell her ahead of time. Because Donna be worried up all night. <laughs> what am I going to say? How am I going to say it? What should I say? I just want Donna to be Donna. I could have chosen a number of you women could have done this. But this is how we know Jesus changed his life. Listen to this. First of all, sorry, Shabriz, Kiara, Auntie has a past. <laughs> sorry, grandbabies. Nana wasn't perfect. Um, I didn't want to cry. Jesus, take this wheel. Okay, so when I grew up, I grew up around um, drugs and men in and out of our lives. And as a teenager, I found myself doing the same things as I was around. And I was, um, sorry, grandbabies. Um, I was hooked on drugs. And I used to rob houses and steal and do drugs with my mom. My brothers. Me and my brother used to go on the roof and... We used to sniff paint, and one time he thought he was, I thought I was an airplane and trying to jump off the roof, and he grabbed me by my ponytail. And I used to fight in school, like, all the time. Like, people would look at me, and they would, everybody would think I was mad at them, and it's probably because I was just such an angry child, you know? And they would look at me, and I'd be like, what? What are you looking at? And then I'd fight, and my mom would get calls almost every day. And back in those days, you kids are lucky, because back in those days, we'd get paddled by the principal. Yeah. And yeah, my mom used to tell him to hit me. And then all through my teenage years, I did that. And me and my mom had a job together, and you know, we used to do drugs together. You know, she'd be, I just left the bathroom. And I'd go in there and, you know, do my thing. And 
And once I had my daughter, I just thought, you know, I don't want this life, you know, and then th that didn't work out, whatever. And then I got with my husband and he was crazy. I was crazy. And so, you know, how all that ended up, you know, just alcohol parties, everything. I didn't do it, the drinking and all that. And I didn't do drugs when I met my husband, but you know, he did all that and we still partied and, but we fought like cats and dogs, you know, and, you know, I finally one day was like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take this, you know, so I started throwing blows with him. He was throwing blows with me and I had the kids in the car one day and we were in Paris and I was driving and he was, um, I don't know what he was doing. He was outside the car, whatever, and we're fighting. And I remember pushing on the gas to go run him over, and he flew to the side, like jumped into the bushes. And I heard in my car, I believe it was Yvonne, she said, Mom, no, no. And that just, like, freaked me out. And so I, you know, obviously stopped, whatever, but he jumped in the bushes anyway. <laughs> and um, so then um, you, I got originally saved when I was like 18 in an apostolic Pentecostal church, and obviously I went away from it, but then my brother-in-law, Ernie, used to come here, and he used to tell me all the time, come to church with me, come to church with me, and I was like, no, I'm tired, you know, I'm tired of churches, I went through all kinds of churches. One thing my husband always told me when we would fight, and I'd tell him, I'm going to go to church, and he goes, all right, he goes, I don't want you going hanging out with your friends. I don't want you going here. I don't want you going there. But one thing I am not going to stop you from is going to church. You want to go to church? Go to church. And so I would find different churches to go to. And so Ernie kept, kept on and kept on and kept on. And finally one day I was like, okay, Ernie, I'm going to go with you to, like, get him off my back. And then I remember coming. We were in the other side, the old building. And um, pastor was preaching. And... Um, I forgot her name. She was an old Oriental lady. Tess. Tess. And um, I remember, you know, get, for the altar call and everything, and I remember going to the altar, and Tess was praying with me, and I remember saying and crying out to God, and I said, God, if you're real, like, you have to touch me. Like, you have to touch me in a way that you've never touched me before. Like, because this is going to be either my first to an all the time here, or this is going to be my last time here. Like, I'm, I'm done with trying to serve God and everything. And I was touched, like, radically. And that was in 1996. And I've been here since, you know. And all through the years, it hasn't been easy. And, you know, um, but one thing I have and I've done is I've met like, a lot of people, I'll run into them, and they'll be like, oh, you still going to the potter's house? Yes, I am. And they go, you still go there? Yes. And they go, like, you know, God, it's been a long time or whatever, you know. And when people ask me, like, what keeps me here and what keeps me going is, and I always tell them this, is because um, I go to serve God. I don't go to serve people. I go to serve God. And I believe in my heart that, when you get genuinely saved from the depth of your heart, like, it doesn't matter 
who does what or what happens, like you're going to stay. You know, there is many times over the years that I didn't want to come to church. I didn't want to be saved, you know. But I knew that as long as I kept coming, regardless of how I was feeling, that I would be fine, you know. And now I have all these grandbabies, you know. And it's like... And it's like, I don't want to see them struggle and go through the things I went through, you know. And my hope is that they'll all grow up to be men and women of God, you know. And I just want to give God all the glory. When pastor asked me to testify, I was like, oh, I don't want to testify. Like, what am I going to say? And, and then um, God just spoke to me. And he was like, it's, it's not about what to say or anything. It's God gets all the glory. You know, I was a mess, a hot mess, and I'm sorry, (laughs) and God totally changed my life, and he can do it for any of you, no matter what you've done, no matter where you come from, no matter what you're doing today, right now, what's important is that you just serve God, just keep coming, no matter how you are, how you feel, what you think, what you look like. All what matters at the end of the day is that you want to be right with God because that's where we're going to stand is with God alone, not with everybody else. So happy Easter. Thank you, Donna. You would never believe that story. Look at her, a fighter, burglar. Throw blows with Frank. Imagine if she was big. Poor Frank. But I want you to think. I'm, I'm ending here. I want you to think. Be a Christian this morning. I want you really to think from the bottom of your heart. What Jesus done for you. How he's changed you. 